How's everybody going tonight? You doing okay? Awesome. Wasn't last um, Sunday night an awesome night when Joshua and V brought their food truck in there and uh, fed us with so much awesome yummy food. So we are super blessed to have them in our church and um, we'll have them back anytime, I think. Uh, that would be great. So yeah, so that's awesome. Thank you so much for that, guys. Um, hey, Simon and um, um, Ian and myself and Gordon uh, went away a few weeks ago. Uh, just travelling around, just seeing what God w- was wanting to say to us. And, um, and so I've just asked um, Gordon and Ian and Simon to share briefly for a couple of minutes before I start uh, my message tonight about uh, what impacted them while we were away. And so um, I'll share, Gordon um, can't be here tonight, but I'll share what he was saying tonight. But I'm going to ask Simon to come up first and uh, so he can um, share and then go out and to the, do the kids stuff. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. So uh, we, we did a trip out west, um, most of you probably be aware, out to Charleville and um, Tambo, Blackhall and back to Rockhampton again that way and uh, there's a lot of stuff that stood out, I'm sure Graham will get into all the individual bits and pieces of it. Um, it was great to see the snapshot of different things God's doing in these different communities but the one that stood out to me the most was this, um, there's a phone church and it's been going for about 30 years now this phone church. It's now on Zoom, but you can dial in as well because uh, one of the troubles in the outback is internet connection. So um, they, don't, they don't have an easy way to communicate and people are often isolated by these vast distances. So this phone church has had people from Victoria and Northern Territory and Queensland and I don't know about Western Australia and that, but there's been a lot of people as a part of it. And it's just exciting to see that God's still got these connections there's still a way that people can communicate and gather and interact in each other's lives and and because church is not just this thing we do here on a sunday night church is us living our lives together and for that them that phone church becomes their um their connection point they they um, have conversations around what's happening in each other's lives and they pray over different things so um and they've it's, there's maybe an opportunity for us to help with that and to to facilitate that for them and to keep that going and um, it's a good and exciting opportunity for us. We believe that um, revival can happen and it's going to probably start in the outback and move its way forward. And this is a place where we already, there's already connection to a lot of the places throughout Australia. So it was just an exciting um, opportunity and good to see. Thanks, Simon. Awesome. Where are you, Ian? Yes. Um, yeah, what a trip it was. And, uh, you know, the thing that I've come away from it with is more than ever just the cry of thirsty hearts who long for fellowship. Things we take for granted because we live around Christian people and we can all come together like this and we can have music and preaching and great stuff. But we heard about a um, a young woman who works in an isolated place, she's a Christian and she doesn't have anyone living near her that she can fellowship with, no Christians near her. Um, you just stop and think about that for a minute and that cry that's always been on my heart to want to um, see the kingdom built and reach the isolated places of our continent, uh, it just got stirred up more and more and more and I believe with all my heart that the grace of God 
Um, it's gone before us, long before us. When he made the world, he provided everything we're ever going to need. He didn't make us first and then think, oh, 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 hang on, they need oxygen. Quick, make an atmosphere. Uh, what about trees? They're hot. Make some trees quick. They can go under. No, he made the whole lot for us. And then we were the crowning glory of his creation. And I'm sure as I'm standing here that he has provided a way for us and we are earnestly seeking that. I was mightily encouraged to meet some amazing people who they're like soldiers out in lonely posts uh, doing their duty and uh, just building the kingdom anyway, you know? Uh, so I was very blessed to go. And all it's done is just make the hole in my heart for these people bigger. And I just want to go and um, work on that for the rest of my life. That's awesome. Thanks, Thanks Ian. Thanks, Ian. And um, Gordon was saying to me that we met a pastor in Blackall named Bob, and he's an, um, an ACC pastor out there, and he was retired. And um, like all of us, um, you know, we say, God... Uh, use us in any way that you can or what you want us to do. And uh, Bob had always said to God, as an ACC pastor or as a pastor, I'd love to sometime in my life to pastor an Outback Church. Um, and it never happened at all. He never got to pastor an Outback Church and he retired and, and moved closer to his children and did all that. And he was away on holidays in Early Beach and um, he had a phone call from the um, heads of the ACC saying, how would you feel about pastoring the church in Blackall? Um, and he said, I've retired. They said, well, they want you. Um, we need you. And so he went back to his children and, um, and his children said, we haven't seen much of you over the last, over your, over your lifetime. Um, and you've come here to be with us. We'll give you two years. You're allowed to go to Blackall for two years. So Bob's gone to Blackall for two years. He finishes up at the end of the year. Um, but what touched Gordon's heart was that on the block of land at the back of the church, Bob is has lobbied the council, put a plan together, submitted it to build a caravan park at the back of the church to make that church sustainable for the rest of time. So uh, there is a caravan park being built on the back of the church block um, and, um, and it will um, be an undertaking of epic proportion financially. Um, it will pay itself back very, very quickly um, and then it will pay for a pastor forever. And that church will never be without a pastor. And the cry of his heart was that Blackall needs not an old retired pastor. He needs a pastor like Jess and James Henderson, who have got children who can integrate into the community and do plumbing and all that sort of stuff. Oh, no, sorry, electrical. And, um, and all that sort of stuff along the way. So he's setting it up so that a, a young family can go in there and not financially be disadvantaged. <laughs> How awesome is that? So that was Gordon's heart. For me, I just was blown away. I mean, I've been travelling around the outback of, for 25 years now and seeing all this stuff and, and it's just great. But um, on the, the, the last night we were out there in, in Blackall, uh, another couple turned up to the church uh, to have a meal with us. Um, and, um, and they were very quiet and very timid and very laid-back and probably, if, if you would not know them, quite standoffish. Um, and I got chatting to them, and they had spent all of their life 
in this one Aboriginal community in the Northern Territory that they went to every year and they were translating the whole Bible into easy English. Wow, what an incredible life that they were living and they were just unassuming, very quiet, probably um, I would have been an assault on their senses because they were so quiet and so gentle. Um, but they were doing the whole Bible um, into easy English. And it wasn't an easy task. Um, and they said in their lifetime they probably wouldn't get it finished. Uh, but they were doing their bit for the kingdom. And I just got thinking about all of that. And, um, and we've, we've, you know, we met the Baines family in, in um, Charleville and um, you know, Bob in, in Blackall. And there's a great group of guys in Tambo and um, the, our, our church um, out in Blackall. And uh, all of those things, we met people along the way. And it made me realise, what is God calling us to do? It's okay to have a look at all that stuff, um, but what is God calling us as a church to do? And what is the plan that God has for us? And the one thing that was laying on my heart all the way back, we, we, you know, we stopped and we had a debrief um, in Rockhampton on the way back, and, and I just the one thing that kept coming to me was, this is going to be quite big. So make sure you structure it well. But not only that, stop looking at Tambo and Blackall and Charleville and Barcaldon. Let's take a bird's eye view and have a look at the whole of Australia. What does God want us to do for the nation? Not just what does God want us to do for a little area in Queensland, but what can we do in a nation? And you know, we have the opportunity presented in front of us to um, partner with the Outback Church, uh, which is um, a, a phone church, and we're looking at partnering with them and, and, and supporting that along the way. But uh, Simon and Trish and Amanda and I have been online two Sundays now, and uh, it's an amazing experience to join a group of people online um, who just love Jesus um, who uh, can't actually um, get to church, or probably can, but this is their church and this is what they do. And, um, and so I, I'm so excited about what we can do um, moving forward in that space there. What can't we do? Who hasn't got a phone? Is there, if you haven't got a phone, don't put your hand up. Okay, so we've all got a phone, which means we all can be on phone church. Now, I don't know about your phone, but if I picked up my phone now and I started dialing a number, I could dial anywhere in the world. Does your phone do that? Does, is there anyone's phone who doesn't dial anywhere in the world? Awesome. So we're all on the same page. That means we can pick up our phone at any given time of any given day and call people anywhere in the world and do church with them. How exciting is that? And we've got the opportunity laying at our feet to partner with a group who have already started and are looking for um, some help and support along the way. And I can only imagine how this can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And some of these people that we were talking to on the phone church, they're incredibly humble, awesome people. You know, um, you know uh, one guy was, you know, we're, they what's your prayer and praise? They start off, what's prayer, praise points for the morning? And one gentleman was saying, oh, you know, like just want to pray for our leaders and our nation and pray for all of these things. And, and oh, is there anything else? Oh, yeah, well, my wife's sick and she's in hospital. And, um, you know, but he was interested in the bigger picture. 
um, of things. And uh, I thought, wow, isn't it great that we are going to get the opportunity? I don't know, are you excited about what God can do um, with us in that space? Oh, obviously. Oh, Oh, well, you know, let's just phone them up and say we're not going to do it. Are you excited about it with me? Awesome. Yeah. And you know what? It's going to cost us some time and resources, but God's just starting to show me that we can do so much um, with, um, with a little bit of movement around the place. You know, I was thinking this morning about the Queen and how incredible she was and But, you know, there's no way known today that she can go back and do anything that she hasn't done. Her life is finished. It's over. It's done. She's lived an amazing life. She's done some incredible things. And she is, without a shadow of a doubt, up in heaven, laying her crown at the feet of her king today. I have no doubt about that. But she cannot come back to earth and do a single thing right now. She's done. So any regrets, any thoughts that she wished she would have, should have, could have, maybe would have, she can't change that. And I don't want as an individual or as our church to be able to ever say it's way too late for us. You know, we should have taken that opportunity. We could have given a little bit more. We could have done that. Because when our time is done and when it's finished... It's going to be over and we can't go back and fix that or change that anymore. I can't go back and do the things I did when I was 20. And I was thinking also, like today is 9-11, 2001, um, 9-11. I remember taking my car out to the um, the RACQ for a service and Ian uh, picked me up. We were going to have a coffee and I said to Ian when I got back in the car, I said, well, there must be a new Christian movie that I was listening to, Rima. I said, there must be this new Christian movie they were advertising when I was there about something about, like, there's these planes flying around. One of them flew into, must be about Armageddon or about the end of the world or something. They flew into the Twin Towers or something. I said, he said, oh, I don't know, you might have been hallucinating or whatever. And, uh, and went home and realised that um, this tragic event had unfolded. And for all of those people who died at that time, What they hadn't done, it was too late. If they hadn't made peace with their maker, it was too late. There was no going back and changing what shoulda, coulda, woulda. But we are all sitting here. We are all alive. We are all breathing. We are in a great place and we can do so much. And my thinking and my word that I'm going to say tonight is if you're not dead, you're not dead. So get up and do something. We can't actually go back and do it once we're dead. And so I want to um, tonight just talk a little bit about revival and, and not, you know, I could talk about all the revivals in history and uh, you can go on Google and just look up revivals in history and, and you'll know all about those things. But I want to talk a little bit about what would God want for us? Because I'm a really big believer of running in our lane. I want to, as our church, run in our lane. I don't want to be um, Victory Church. I don't want to be Reach Church. I don't want to be Life Church. I don't want to be the Baptist Church. I don't want to be the Church of Christ. I want to be the powerhouse church running in their lane, doing what they're called to do, supporting all those other churches and being part of what God has in this nation for us to do. Are you okay with that? I read a story um, about um, uh, today. I'm going to share it with you. Two young women and the Holy Spirit. 
Several high-ranked marked church leaders from Europe visited a pastor in Hong Kong. The pastor took them to visit some of the three self self three self churches they were, three square churches. And um, they found them inspiring and uniquely Chinese, but they wondered aloud if perhaps they weren't seeing the real church. So here these guys are looking to find the real church. What are we looking for? On the final day of the visit, the pastor hoped to show them what they wanted to see. He knew they would not really be satisfied unless they met a, a real church planter. And, it, and as it turned out, they saw something incredible beyond, beyond what they could have ever expected happening in China. Uh, at, at their last visit, the pastor discovered that two young women had just returned from a mission station for a short visit, so they asked them to come to the hotel and meet the church leaders. These young women had both become Christians as teenagers while listening to a radio broadcast, well, it sounds like phone church, um, and they each immediately felt the call to become missionaries. So here's these two women that um, have just two young girls who have been listening to a radio broadcast who have found the Lord and now God has called them to be missionaries and they want to go and do something. The pastor had met with them and attempted to teach them how to witness right where they were. No, they insisted. The Bible says, um, said that we have to go into the, all of the world and we want to go. But the pastor argued, you've only been a Christian for six months and you're so young. They replied, pastor, we have everything Jesus said and nowhere does it say in the Bible that we have to be old. We just want to go. Smiling, the pastor asked them, but can you give me an exegesis of the five classical appearances of the Great Commission in the New Testament? Their disappointed faces made him feel ashamed. And he just said to them, well, very well, we need workers on Hanane Island. Hanane Island, we love it. We've never heard of it, but we're going to go. The pastor said it's an island off the mainland. The people there are fishermen. It's really rough. There are no Christians there. For young ladies, it might be very dangerously dangerous. Excitedly, they responded, how soon can we go? Well, I'll have to go back to Hong Kong, make the arrangements. We'll talk to people. And they said, stop. They interrupted him. No, 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 no. We're not going to wait. Our Lord said to go, not sit around and plan. We will go to this place. What do you call it? Hanane Island, we're on our way. Wouldn't you like that enthusiasm in some of the people that we come in contact with? They looked at each other and said, yes, this is what the Lord wants for us to do. They had been there for two years and now were back for a short period of time and this is where they met the guys in the motel. They'd come back to get Bibles and literature for their new church. The pastor had not seen them since the day they insisted they, they were going to go. Waiting in the lobby of the hotel, he spotted these two young women. Um, oh no, he thought as they walked in. Their black pyjamas and broad-brimmed fishing hats stood in stark contrast to all the rich hoity-toity people all around them. The pastor quickly moved to them and several people stood staring as, the, as he greeted them politely without drawing too much attention. Come with me to the room and we'll meet the rest of the guys from Europe. Once in the room, the European church officials graciously greeted them and then proceeded to ask the ladies questions, in, um, interpreting for his guests as he went along. Pastor asked them, how many churches have they established in Hanoi? The women put their head down and answered, oh, pastor, we have only been there two years, not very many. Their voices were very apologetic. How many? 
Oh, not many, not many. We have been there for a short time. The people are not very friendly. Sometimes they became very vicious. Sometimes they told us they were going to drown us in the ocean. Several men threatened us, and because we were so young, even some of the old other ladies didn't like us. They called us terrible names, so not many churches. No, no, not many. The pastor interrupted and slowly repeated, how many? How many? There was a moment of silence, and then one of the women looked up with embarrassment and anguish and through and as though confessing to a crime said only 13. the pastor looked astonished and interpreted for the guests 13 one of the guests repeated then that number only 13 oh my goodness i haven't planted that many in my whole lifetime the pastor who was interpreting said sorry she said 30 not 13 30 churches the pastor looked at the two young women and couldn't believe it 30 churches in two years again the women began to apologize when the pastor interrupted and asked another question how many people are in the churches how many oh not many again both heads went down apologizing for their failing not many people the process repeated itself until the pastor looked like he was ready to shake them and practically yelled, how many people are in your churches? Only 220 people, not many, not many. Quickly multiplying in his head, the pastor thought 220 people over 30 churches, that's not great. Oh no, only in one, that's the very, very small church. There are bigger ones, there are bigger ones. Oh, you mean 220 in one church. What's your biggest church? The pastor interrupted. He heard the number repeated by his guests. 220 is small. Dear Lord, I wish that was one of my churches. Asking them how many other big churches, the process began, but with more reverent inquiries. How many in the big churches? You know the big ones. Oh, not many. I know not many, but please, ladies, tell us how many. Oh, less than 5,000, 4,990. The largest one had 5,000 people and they said they were doing nothing. How did you get your church to be that big? Nothing, we did nothing, we just prayed. We know you prayed, but what else did you do? After we prayed, the Holy Spirit would tell us exactly what to do. We would keep praying and he would tell us what to do and we would do it. And then we'd pray again and he would tell us what to do and we would keep doing it and we wouldn't stop until he stopped telling us what to do. Wow, how incredible is that story? You know, I thought to myself, uh, is that one of those stories that you just read as a feel-good story? So I went for a bit of a hunt around the internet and I found the Asian harvest of Hanai, one of the stories from there. And they said, when they first read the story of these two faithful girls, they weren't sure if it was accurate, as it almost sounded too good to be true. We sent the story to an expert in the churches of Hanai um, and surprisingly our information turned out to be correct. These two women had done great things and planted many churches in the face of great opposition and struggle. They primarily worked in that area and several countries around. However, our friends also added that because of the lack of follow-up and discipleship, that much of the fruit had been lost to cults 
and by now there was only 5,000 people um, remaining from what they had done. Wow. You know, I, I read that story and I thought, let's just do something. Let's just do something. We're not called always to work it out. We're not called to know exactly how things are going to fall into place. We're not called to um, have all our ducks in a row. But what we are called to do is to pray and listen to the Holy Spirit and do. Pray, listen to the Holy Spirit and do. Not pray, listen to the Holy Spirit and then decide whether the Holy Spirit is saying something that we agree with. Because so often that's where we get to, isn't it? We decide, oh, we're going to pray, Lord, what would you like us to do in revival? Plant 500 churches. No, that's too big. Give us something else. God, what do you want us to do? Plant 500 churches. No, that's too big. What do you want us to do? Plant 500 churches. No, that's too much. And by that time, I'm dead. And I can't do it anyway. I should have just planted the 500 churches. It's not up to me. I'm not the one who can make this happen. I'm not that clever. If you, if, if you ever under any illusion that I am clever or that I have an amazing plan or that I am so super important in this big plan, please just forget it now because I'm not that clever. I haven't got it all together. I haven't got it all worked out. All I know is that if God's calling us to do something as a church and I'm leading it at the present moment, we're just going to do it. We're just going to get on board and do what God has called us to do and see what happens. One thing I noticed, um, one thing I noticed along the way as I was reading some of the things about what happened with Jesus was he always drew a crowd. He always drew a crowd of people around him wherever he went. And you know, there's so many verses. I've got um, number one to 29. 1 to 29. So if you're online tonight, if you put a number between 1 and 29, I will go to that verse if Amanda yells it out to me. But who's got a number between 1 and 29 they want to give me right now? 5. I heard 5. Who said 5? Ian. Okay. Now, as it happened in Luke 5, 1, while the crowds were pressing against him and listening to the word of God, he was standing on the lake. So he had a crowd of people around him on the lake. Have I got another number? 17, Joshua. Okay, 17. Let's see. And Jesus said in Luke 8, 45, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in all around you. Another number? 15. Who's it from? Terry, number 15. Okay, 15. Okay, Tanya, in Luke eleven twenty nine, 29, and the crowds were increasing and he began to say, the generation, a wicked generation, it seeks for a sign and yet no sign will be given to them but a sign of Jonah. Any other number? 23, Hadassah, okay, 23. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road in Matthew 21, verse 8. 25, Leanne, okay. Matthew 21, verse 11. And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee. Anyone else got a number? Eight. Eight. I like number eight. That's my birth date, so I like it. Eight. Here we go. Now, when, uh, in Matthew 14, 13. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from the boat to a secluded place by him. And when the people heard this, they followed him on foot from the cities. One more. Number two. I'll do 2 and 12. Mark 5, 24. 
and he went off with, uh, and, and he went off with him, a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And number 12, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing and he healed all those who were sick in John 6 2. Jesus always drew a crowd. He had a crowd around him all the time. There's 29 verses I've got there about um, the crowds that Jesus drew around him. And, you know, I want to say tonight that we can say all we like, um, you know, oh, I remember uh, someone saying to me once when we're starting out in ministry, don't get too big too soon. Oh, you don't want to be too big too soon. I said, I want to be too big real soon because the only way we can reach Jesus is to be big. If I'm sitting here preaching to one person, oh, for goodness sake, I might as well go home. And I would do it because we love the one. But if I'm sitting here preaching to 5,000 people, how many more people can we talk about Jesus if we draw a crowd? And I've often wondered why did Jesus draw a crowd around him all the time because he did miracles. There was people, there was people all around him that, that saw things happen. There were people healed. There were blind people who um, were healed. There was deaf people. There was people brought back to life. There was miracle after miracle after miracle. Would you not want to be around that if you'd had the opportunity to be there? And the crowds just kept coming. You know, when the feeding of the 5,000, I mean, here's Jesus. There's 12,000 people, probably more more than 12,000 people listening to a man who didn't have a microphone. They hadn't eaten any food and they were listening to Jesus. I can't tell you what he was talking to them about because it doesn't tell us, but it was enough to captivate them for a long time. Now, I'm going to wonder whether or not if we decided to start our service now and we're going to sit here for 24 hours and you're going to listen to me. For 24, yeah, that's exactly right, Glennis. Yeah, come on. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for the filter. Um, yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like at the end, I don't know whether I could do it. But Jesus had them in the palm of his hand and they kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming because they were attracted to something that he had. And, you know, I want to say that we want to be a church that draws a crowd and keep them coming and coming and coming, not for their money, not for anything else, but to see them restored back to Jesus for revival to come and for people's lives to be changed and to become the people that they were created to be in Jesus Christ. And the more and more we start to see those miracles unfold in our church, we will not have enough room in this building to be able to contain what Jesus wants to do. Now, we can take a bird's eye view. Let's pull it back a little bit. Let's look at replicating that all over the country, all over Australia, spot fires all over Australia, that we can have some influence over along the way and see God do miraculous things in our nation that can culminate in revival. What are we called to do and what part can we play? All I know is that whatever we do, and I'm gonna play a numbers game again, between one and 33 this time, all I know is that, oh, this is the part that's hard for some people. It's gonna be messy. It ain't gonna look like 
three hymns, take up the offering, hallelujah Jesus, let's have a communion message and then a 30 minute sermon, but wouldn't want to be any longer than 30 minutes because um, probably keep it back to 25 minutes, 22 minutes because we're timing from 20. Um, and then we can go home and watch um, whatever we watch on TV. It's going to be messy. On Friday night, we had a gross night. And we had um, kids laying on the floor and uh, Darcy and Jade and Sarah uh, stood here with a can of, uh, a squeezed bottle of condensed milk and we just squeezed it into kids' mouths from about this height. Now you can imagine where that all went. Most of it, depending on how nice they were, went into their mouth. But you know what? It was messy. We had kids eating food that was covered in hot sauce and drinking drinks that had pickles in them and juice and all the stuff Taylor loves to eat, all of those great things. And you know what? They, they loved it. They loved the mess. They didn't go, oh, it's too messy. We won't come back next Friday night because it might be that messy again. They're lining up the door for the next one. You know, there's going to be some messy things happen in our church and in our nation when we start to see revival break out because I know God is not a God that just is containable. You look at all the stories in the Bible, things just get messy when he gets involved. What's the number between 1 and 33? Four. Okay. Jesus, think about this for messy for a second. In Mark 1, 23 to 28, talks about Jesus casting out the unclean spirits. Here they are, and Jesus is walking up to these unclean spirits, and he says, Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the, in, in, the impure spirits shook the man violently and came out with a shriek, and the people were all amazed. No, they weren't amazed. They were freaking out. That's messy, isn't it? Can you imagine if that happens in our church? Someone with an unclean spirit comes in and we come up and we start and we, we curse those spirit, we tell it to come out and they start rolling around violently on the floor here and we raise a hallelujah. We just got to keep going. And then the, the spirit shrieks and bolts out the door. That's messy. That's messy. But that's what's going to happen if we're going to start seeing God unfold in our nation. And someone got another number? 16. Okay. Let's go down to 16. 16 is Jesus healed the invalid man at the pool of Bethesda. You know, here's all of these um, um, guys wanting to be healed. And at the very end of John 5, verse 9, it says, And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked away the day on which he took, um, which, which took place on the Sabbath. So here's this holy day. You know, we've got this holy stuff going on in church. We've got it all sorted. Hadassah's up here leading beautiful worship and we've got it all sorted. And then all of a sudden, someone comes in who's blind and they, they heal him on a day when you can't heal people. Ooh, that's going to burr up the religious spirits. That's going to make a bit of mess, isn't it? Because we're going to actually just see all that stuff unfold. It's going to be messy along the way. Who's got another number for me? 21. Okay, Bob. I don't even know what 21 is. Jesus cured the deaf and mute man in Mark 7. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in his ear and then he spit on him and touched the man's tongue. 
Okay. No, that's really, that's really COVID safe, isn't it? Yeah. No. Come up here, I'll give you a wet willy. How many people's that going to upset? Yeah. And then he spit on his hand, touched his tongue. Quick, get the hand sanitizer out. Do something. What a mess that's going to be. And you know what? People are going to go away and they're going to go, my gosh, do we want to go back to that church? They just hock a loogie and just... <laughs> Who knows what's going on there? But you know what? If there was someone healed in our church like that, this place would be full the next Sunday. It would be full. They wouldn't care whether or not you stood over them with condensed milk and poured it all over their face. If they could see again, they would be happy as a pig in mud. What, what's another number? 27? 27, Glennis. Okay. I hope this keeps you awake, Glennis. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Jesus cures the man with dropsy in Luke 14. This man came in and he had abnormal swelling in his body and Jesus asked um, the Pharisees about it and he healed him and sent him on his way. You know, we're going to get all types coming into our chirps, not just the, the clean cut um, middle class Australian people. We're going to get people who are coming in who um, uh, have um, abnormal swelling in their body or they're not well or all of those things and we're just going to, Jesus just healed him and sent him on his way. I mean really at the end of the day you should be able to come down and go oh you've got a bit of abnormal swelling, okay we'll be healed in Jesus name, off you go no worries, okay well let's get back to what's going on, anyone got another number? 30 no one's got oh where are we, number 30 Jesus opens the eyes of two blind men in Matthew 20, Jesus was going by and these guys shouted and the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder. Can you imagine that happening in church? Yeah, pastor, 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 I'm blind. Shut up. Not from me, from you. And I'm going, no, no. They go, no, I want to be healed. Can you guys just be quiet for a bit? No, no, we want to be healed now. Okay. So then Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they received slight sight and they followed him. These are going to become everyday normal occurrences. This is in the Bible. This is not stuff I'm making up. This is the stuff that happens. And so it's going to be messy. You know, it's going to be messy along the way. We'll do one more. 22. Okay, Cassie. Are you doing okay out there? Jesus fed the 4,000 people and he told them to sit on the ground. Can you imagine trying to tell 4,000 people to sit down? Have you ever thought about that? If there was 500 people in here and they were just yabbering away and we didn't have a microphone, just trying to get control of that mess would be a disaster. A disastrous mess. But Jesus got them to sit down and then he fed them. I mean, we didn't even get to the one where he spat in the guy's eyes made mud, put it on his face. It's going to be messy along the way. And I, for one, am excited about mess. I like mess. I remember a few years ago we were in a church and um, I'll tell a story at a school here. We put a hole in the wall 
not even doing anything bad. The kids were stacking the chairs up and one of them lifted up and the leg went into the wall and made a little tiny hole in the wall about this round. I was out in the foyer and one of the kids come out and they were white. Graham, something bad's happened. I thought, by the look of your face, someone has dropped dead. They said, what has happened? Someone put a hole in the wall. I went, oh, for goodness sake. I said, oh, can you believe that? That's terrible. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. They said, we're going to get dead. I said, well, we probably will. But if we do it covertly undercover, and so after hours, we brought in a plasterer. We got the security turned off. We had it plastered over. And we painted it a similar colour. <laughs> and no one ever knew. Until now. Until now. And if you can find where it is, good luck to you. But what I want to say is how sad that we can't have a hole in the wall. How sad that we can't actually have young people in our churches that make holes in walls. Now, I'm not advocating that we go and just wreck our buildings, but I'm saying that if we're going to have things going on that bring life into our world, there's going to be mess. There's going to be mess along the way, and I, for one, am okay with that. I'm okay with that. When you look at the Azusa Street Revival, can I just read you a couple of things here? Are we doing okay? Awesome. In the Azusa Street Revival back in the 1900s, Many great and unusual miracles and signs accompanied this, uh, not the least of the appearance of a 50-foot fire from the top of the Azusa Mission, which could be seen at times from miles off. Sometimes the fire went up so high that the people in the town called the fire brigade to come and put the fire out there, and the higher the fire, the more the miracles. I wonder what had happened here. Like, what a mess that would be, every, every, having the fire brigade turn up because they think your, fire, your building's on fire because the Holy Spirit's been activated. They talk about the glory. There was an ever-present tangible mist inside the mission that intensified especially when um, Seymour was present and even more so when the fire appeared out of the top of the building. So now we've got fire screaming out of the top of the buildings. We've got a fog on the floor and the Holy Spirit's moving. And... The kids of the Azusa Street Revival reminisce about playing hide-and-seek in what they called the Shekinah glory because it was so deep they could hide in it. How awesome is that, that when you walked into the building, no one even bothered that there was mist this deep in the building. That's a mess. Are we ready for that sort of thing to happen if we walked in here and there was just mist? I don't know. George Seymour himself used to sit there with a box on his head. And he would only take the box off his head when the Holy Spirit told him to. And when the box came off, the miracle started to happen. So how weird is that? If God told us to sit here. Chris was sitting there with a box on his head. Hey, box head. When are we going to get started? Well, when God tells me to take it off. And when he actually got to the place of feeling bad and funny and people ridiculed him about that and years down the track as the, as, the, um, as the revival went on when he started to feel humiliated about that the miracle started to cease he stopped doing what God 
telling to do. A woman came into the meeting holding a staff. She could hardly breathe and she looked like a skeleton. She only lived about two miles from Azusa Street and she'd started walking there at three in the afternoon and didn't reach it until six in the evening. She literally took one baby step at a time, pulling herself along. The woman pointed to this lady named Laura and said, I won't live through the night if God doesn't heal me. I'll die. The doctors say my lungs are eaten away with cancer and I can hardly breathe and I'm losing weight. I've been losing weight for about a year. She was five foot six. She weighed 65 pounds and looked like a skeleton. They laid hands on her and immediately she began to breathe normally. Over the next three hours, she gained 40 pounds of weight without even eating and she did all she did was breathe in the thick mist of the Shekinah glory that hung around on the floor and her lungs felt no pain and returned to the lungs of a young woman. When she visited her doctor, he didn't even recognize her. He examined her and could not believe that her lungs were perfect and in shape and she had gained 40 pounds. The doctor's name, who was Thomas Wyatt, decided to visit the revival himself and upon witnessing the events decided that he was through with traditional medicine he started a ministry called the Wings of Healing and saw multitudes of people healed and set free because of that. How awesome's that? Now that's a mess. Are you ready for the mess that comes along with revival in our church? And I'm sorry that if you don't like it, God's given you this pastor. <laughs> that's the way it is. But I love the fact that God is going to do something amazing in our life. You know, we're, we're, we're going we're to see things happen um, that we would never believe could happen. I think as long as we are repentant and are changing for the better, as long as we're reconciled to those around us, and the things that go on around us, as long as we're prepared to be reformed. And what do I mean by reformed? I mean not just doing it the way it's always been done. Not doing it the way it's always been done. Just because we've sat here in church on Sunday nights at 5.15 um, for the last however long, doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. No, it's not. There's other ways. Let's be open to what the Holy Spirit wants for us to do. I'm not advocating that we should stop meeting together. I want to meet together more. But there is something awesome about that. And we will start to see revival come in our nation like never before. And I want it to start here. I want it to start with us. I want our spot fires to go out from us. You know, we're going out this week to Quilpie. And um, how awesome is it that we've got an opportunity just to minister to those kids out there and uh, just share the love of Jesus with them and, and do all those things. You know, I had a, a, an amazing experience and, and it, sometimes you don't feel like doing it. You know, Michelle and I and Ian went on a, a camp this week for, for a day and, you know, we didn't really know what we were supposed to do. I didn't really know what I was supposed to do. I was just running by the seat of my pants and, um, and, and we did it. And, and God laid some things down to do and we went and did it. And in one of the sessions, after one of the sessions, one of these girls had left the group and gone and, and she ran back and she said, thank you, you've changed my life. And she grabbed me and hugged me. And it changed my life. One hour. We were together one hour. Probably not even an hour. Changed my life. 
That's what we can do for people by just spending time with them. We can just change their life. Is that the Holy Spirit, Alan? You sure? Maybe it is. Oh, is that the, that the, that's the, the time's up bell. Okay. Well, you can come up, Adassa. That'd be awesome. You know, God wants us to, do, to play our part. And I want to not miss it. I'm 58 years old. Um, I don't want to spend the next 20, 30 years shoulda, coulda, woulda. I want to get out there and do it. And, you know, God's calling us to go. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Ian and uh, Gordon and Simon and I went and did this trip and we've done a few things. The second week of the holidays, it's all changed. We were going to go to Bow Desert, but God changed the plan. And now five of us are going off on a journey doing other stuff in, in other places. And the Holy Spirit's just going to unfold along the way and amazing things are going to happen because we're just letting him go and do what he wants to do. And, you know, tonight I want to say we just need to pray, listen to the Holy Spirit, be prepared to just go and do that. Be ready for a crowd, embrace the mess, run in our lane and play our part. And I don't know about you tonight, but I've been um, wanting to see God unfold in my life and in revival for been praying for 25 years believing for it and I believe that we're going to start seeing some things unfold and we're being bold and stepping out and praying and believing for things um, and, 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 and not just believing it because it sounds good but because I believe things will happen you know we've been praying for Aileen to walk out of a wheelchair and I believe it's going to happen you know we prayed for uh, for people's backs and i believe god's healing people i believe that if, if jesus can heal someone from blindness we're going to see that happen you know we're going to see people raised back to life but it's going to be messy but boy i tell you what when those things start happening we better open up that door and that door and that door and put a trap door in the roof because they will be coming from everywhere. And so tonight, I don't know where you stand in your journey of faith with God about revival. I don't know whether or not you feel like um, maybe someone needs to grab your tongue tonight with a spit on hand and say, loose my tongue to be able to do what you call me to do in revival. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but tonight, if you need prayer for anything tonight, healing in your body, for a, um, a filling of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you need a breakthrough in some area, if you need to um, a, a soul to Paul experience going from black to white, then let's, um, let's pray for you tonight. Because I believe with honest, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is on the move and revival is coming, whether we like it or not, whether we're part of it or not. And I don't want to miss what God is doing. And I remember this guy, and I'll finish with this story. Sorry, Hadassah. I'll finish with this story and then we're going to hand over to the prayer team. But this guy from New Zealand, Don McDonnell, um, he has an amazing story himself, but a little bit of a daredevil. But him and his youth pastor were riding down the beach on quad bikes and they ran into each other and he broke his neck and he was laying there in the water drowning and God sent an angel in the form of a paramedic to save his life. 
Now, Don is a pastor in New Zealand. He has seen the amazing miracle of God healing him. His neck was broken, and it still is. But God keeps him walking. And he travels all over the world telling people about Jesus and praying for people for healing. And he was telling us about 12 months ago that he was in a church in Australia and he was standing up the front and he thought, oh, we might just start the meeting before Hadassah starts to lead so wonderfully. We might start the meeting with a prayer line for healing. And so all these people came out for prayer and they're standing here. Oh, we're going to pray for healing. Oh, awesome. And then this man in a wheelchair came out who hadn't walked for 30 years. And he went, oh, flip. He said, I'm just being honest. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so he said, much to my disgust, I walked along and prayed for everybody, skipped over, prayed for everybody. Now this man's been healed. This man's been released. This man's a walking miracle. And he couldn't believe for that. He said, if I, if I pray, if I pray for them and they're not healed, then that'll drop the tone of the meeting. And this is a godly, awesome, incredibly ma- amazing man. And so he decided best just to let it go. And so he walked back up onto the stage and went behind the pulpit and everybody wandered back to their seats. And he's standing up there and there's one man sitting there in his wheelchair who did not move. And he thought, we're at a Mexican standoff here. What do I do? And so he thought, I don't even know what to do. How, how, how embarrassed am I? I don't even know what to do. God's healed my body and I'm a walking miracle and I don't even know what to do. So he thought, I'll go down and I'll pray a blessing over him. And so he walked down and he laid his hands on him. He said, bless you in the name of Jesus. And that guy jumped up out of his wheelchair and ran around the church nine times, picked up his wheelchair and walked out. And he said, my faith, you would think that I would have had more faith than that. You know, we see things, we hear things, we, we, we experience things. Let's keep those fires burning under us. So when we see someone who's sick, when we see someone who needs something, our first response is let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray.